0: Well, hey, good morning, fellas. Welcome to Man Challenge. Go ahead and grab a seat. If you came in and missed this, we have an outline for this morning's teaching in 2 Timothy, so you can grab one of those back at the table. Uh, but a couple things here before we get, we get rolling. First off, is Connor Hetty in the house? Connor Hetty in the house. He'll be here shortly. All right, he was, he was baptized Sunday which is super awesome. Connor, hey, congratulations, man. That's awesome. We talk about next step of faith being one of our values around here, and that's an awesome next step of faith of obedience. You know, I was thinking about uh, next steps of faith. When I was 10 years old, on December twenty fifth, 1983, I took my next step of faith. I accepted Christ. I was baptized on Christmas Day by my dad, and uh, it's just every Christmas morning I just I get excited for Christmas. Um, but there's an ex, there's an extra significant layer uh, as I remember that my dad that Sunday morning it was it was church was on a, or, or Christmas was on a Sunday that day, and I remember walking down and um, interestingly uh, back in that day. We wore uh, put these big, white, heavy robes. Anybody get baptized in one of those? I think, I think they were angelic robes. Well, I put this robe on, and it um, might be hard for you guys to believe this, but us Cordrays are a petite breed of people. And, you know, the, the water was, was probably going to be up to this. It wasn't like ours where you have two levels. And so when I started walking down the steps at Shively Christian Church up at the Baptist when I started walking down the steps, true story, this big, big uh, air bubble got trapped under my robe. And so when my dad, you know, I was basically floating down there and he just held me up. Well, when he took me back, my, the air bubble just worked its way and my feet went flying, flying out of the, the baptistry. So uh, I'm going to baptize my feet this morning now that I realize that I haven't been fully immersed. But anyway, glad that didn't happen to you, Connor. Sunday, super awesome. Hey, so we talk about next step of faith, um, and this is one of the things I love about that as a value. It it subconsciously reminds all of us that none of us in our pursuit of making Jesus Lord of our lives, like none of us wake up and be like, okay, finally I've arrived. Um, we're, there's always a next step of obedience, not to prove our love or to make God love us more. But when we're pursuing making Jesus Lord of all aspects of our life, there's always a next step of faith. And and obedience is his love language. And so we've got 17 guys who are leaving this Saturday for Santiago Dominican Republic to go on a mission trip with Go Ministries. And um, if if you're going on that trip, I know there's a few of you guys in the room. Raise your hand. Stand up. Holler. Okay, awesome. We're so excited. Uh, 17 guys are going to go come alongside of what Go Ministries is already doing, their mission, their strategy, they are striving to plant 1,000 churches in the next decade, in the next 10 years. And so we get to go over there for a week and really help, help, help them what they're already up to, cultivate some soil to help keep that, that mission on, on tasks. So this, if you're a leader, a table leader, um, if the, in other words, if your name is on the table tent, that means this announcement's for you. Wednesday, November 2nd at 12 p.m., we're having a leader-equipping lunch. We're going to feed you God's chicken, I think, downstairs, but we need you to sign up so we know how much to get. So you'll see that on our main challenge table leader deal. Also, there's something on your table. It's uh, Becoming a Man of God, Josh, Joshua Broom, same deal, Wednesday, November 2nd. 7 to 9 p.m. in the room just below this in FH1. Man, this guy, I've just heard a glimpse of his story, but it's an amazing transformation story of this guy uh, from, I mean, he was in the porn industry and now he's a pastor. And only God, right? Only God can do something like that. And so if you're a guy with a pulse, uh, which is all of us, man, it, you'd be smart to to make, to make uh, your schedule work on that. So, at this time, we have an up-and-comer in our midst this morning. His name is Bob Russell. I'd like to welcome him to the stage. Let's give him a Man Challenge welcome. <laughs> hey, welcome, Bob. So, couple, we have a Man Challenge minute, so just pepper you with some, some very non-threatening questions. First off, how many books have you written? 12.
1: 12 books. Some of them were, were books that Christian Standard asked me to write for vacation Bible school. And they're just kind of study books, but they totaled
0: 12. 12 books. And Judy just came out with a book. Judy
1: came out with a book about hospitality called Elbows on the Table.
0: So, okay, um, this is Man Challenge, Moment of Truth. You've written 12 books. The total number of copies that those books have sold do you hope that hers sells one more or one less?
1: I tell you what, if she gets a dollar a book, I hope it sells millions.
0: <laughs>
1: Way to avoid the question. Okay. Um,
0: do you have another book in you?
1: No, I think I've concluded writing a book.
0: Okay. If you were going to write another book, what would, what would be an interest topic that interests you?
1: I, I have continued to study the last days in the... I, I've tried to get churches to be focused on the fact that I feel like we're nearing the Lord's return. Mm. It's interesting, but the scripture I'm assigned today has somewhat to do with that. So if I wrote another book, it would be about that.
0: So you retired from Southeast, not ministry, how many years ago? 16. 16. So today, what does a typical day look like for you?
1: Well, right now I'm in a mentoring group, and once a month I bring in eight different guys from across the country who are preachers, and uh, we spend three and a half days, so I'll wind up this mentoring group today. But often at lunch I'll meet with preachers and answer emails and uh, study for a sermon on the weekends. I'm probably out 35 weekends a year uh, preaching, and I sometimes do things like this.
0: Okay. What do you miss most about being senior minister here?
1: I'm asked that question a lot, and it's surprising to me. What I miss the most are casual friends that I had here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm still in touch with or play golf with people I knew really well, but I would see people was walking through the hallway and just stop and say hello, and there are hundreds of those people that I don't get to see anymore, and I really miss those people.
0: What do you miss least about being a senior minister?
1: Elders meetings,
0: <laughs>
1: uh, and the the pressure. Uh, it's it's hard for people in other businesses. Every businessman in here would say they have pressure, but there is tremendous pressure in a megachurch. Peter Drucker, uh, business guru, said there were three positions that he thought had pressure, hospital administrator, university president, and a megachurch preacher because you're expected to wear so many different hats. And it is a, a pressure-packed position, and once I got out from underneath that, I, I don't miss that. Mm.
0: So this is called Man Challenge. If you could give a man challenge to this room and to know that every guy would, would say yes to whatever the challenge is, what would it be? To
1: lead their family, you, you didn't ask me that question in advance, obviously. But if, if off the top of my head is to be a spiritual leader of the family, and uh, the, um, one of the reasons America is falling apart is because of broken homes, yeah. and uh, men, we're, we're going to have to be different in the future. As our c- culture continues uh, its decline. We've got to be willing to be different from the world. And our kids need to see, our wives need to see a strength in us that's willing to, the Bible talks about, stand firm. And then King James says, quit you like men. Be a man spiritually and and be strong enough to be different.
0: Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So have how many grandkids? Seven. Two two sons, seven grandkids. Your grandson, Charlie, uh, if you guys aren't aware, had a vicious bout with COVID. Um, tell us a little bit about that and what God taught you and continues to teach yeah. you about that.
1: Charlie went to the hospital about a year ago, went to the hospital twice in emergency room. They turned him away. And the third time he came in, he was so bad, they stat- flighted him to Nashville hospital and he was in ICU for 77 days under sedation. His hospital bill came to $9.5 million. Thank God for insurance, but he, one one doctor told me, we're down to divine intervention. Hmm. And a Bible college president told me, he said, I've been traveling all over the country, and I've never seen our brotherhood so united in prayer for one person. Hmm. And people were praying for Charlie all over the country, and a number of you told me you prayed for him. I can't thank you enough. And what I learned, uh, been affirmed to me, is that God answers prayer. And it's just been one of the more dramatic answers to prayer. Charlie is probably 95, 98% back now and continuing to make progress, and we're so thankful.
0: Thank you. So, asked a couple people that you know um, a few questions about you. And this is what Judy um, Said about you, I asked her, what's your, what's your favorite thing about Bob? And she said, His love for people, for God, people in our family. He would give the shirt off his back to help people. I like that shirt. Um, you couldn't fill it out. <laughs>
1: I'm really buffed up. You can tell I (laughs) have two little guys up here boasting a little
0: bit. Hey, speak for yourself. Um, (laughs) I asked her how she sees uh, Jesus through you, and she said she sees Jesus through you with your finances, prayers, and encouraging words. She said you are up early to study and pray your entire life, Um, which... Man, what a great thing for a wife to to see who sees you at your best. She didn't talk
1: about I was a great lover or anything like that. (laughs) Well,
0: I was blushing. I (laughs) I couldn't read that out loud. Um, And then uh, I asked about Charlie, and she said, When Charlie was at point of death, he became quiet but knew God was in control. He never stopped praying. He knew it was very likely Charlie could die but never stopped praying God's will. He was an encourager to all the family, made numerous trips to Nashville just to spend time time beside Charlie's bed. He shared Charlie's progress, was uplifting and encouraging to know thousands of people were praying and God heard. I think Charlie's illness was used by God to bring people in all walks of life to see the power and prayer of God. Um, And he loves me and treats me royally. Thank you. And then Phil, um, one of your sons, said, I'm a huge... I love that he's a huge fan of his grandkids and boasts about them. He's not given to bragging, so I love seeing him rejoice in their successes. Um, And then I asked Rusty, who's the dad, father, your son, but also father of Charlie, and he said, um, through summer and winter and springtime and harvest, he continues to be faithful to my mother, our family, and the church. But most of all, his faithful, humble, and obedient service to God in season and out of season. Uh, My dad is perhaps the most trustworthy person I've ever been around. He does what he says he's going to do and who he is all the time. When Charlie was going through his illness last year, the one thing my dad kept reminding me is, this is the time for us to believe what we say we believe. I knew what he meant. God's in control. very proud of my dad and thankful God is still using him in mighty ways. Let me pray. God, thank you for this man. I thank you for his faithfulness. I thank you for his humility and yet confidence in you. I pray that you would use him and his gift of teaching that you have graced him with to tee up this uh, room of us men to unpack your truth in ways that moves it from head knowledge to action. So we give you praise. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Ronnie.
1: This has already been a great morning. Let's just close with prayer. It couldn't be better than that. Well, let's just jump right into the scripture we're assigned today, 2 Timothy 3, one through nine. I'm gonna read it and then we'll go back through it. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women. Who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by All kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these false teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone." There will be terrible times in the last days. Now, this term, the last days, in the Bible sometimes refers to the entire period of time between the first coming of Jesus and his second coming. In Acts 2, Simon Peter stood up and preached to the people in Jerusalem, and he said in verse 17, "...these are the last days." referred to by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So the last days sometimes refers to everything that happened from Jesus' resurrection to today. However, most of the time, the term the last days refers to the brief period of time that precedes the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ a second time. This same man, Simon Peter, wrote in 2 Peter 3, 3, scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and saying, where is this coming He promised? So in 2 Timothy 3, when he says the last days, I think it's pretty obvious that Paul is referring to the period of time just before the coming of Christ to earth. There will be terrible times in the last days, just before Christ returns. Now there is both value and a danger in studying Bible prophecy. The value is when you see the Bible coming true, it confirms the truth of the Bible in your heart. It gives you hope for tomorrow. It motivates us to clean up our lives and live holy lives, and also stimulates evangelism if we feel like we don't have much time, we, we get more hurried. But the danger in studying prophecy is that people go to extremes, they become obsessed, they set dates. And sometimes they make the faith look silly. There was a track meet several years ago in which a Christian teenager refused to run in the track meet because she was given the number 666. And that was the devil's number and she wouldn't run wearing the devil's number. Now, you appreciate her courage, but that's making prophecy to be what it's not supposed to be and making us look goofy. Back in, in... 2011, a guy by the name of Harold Camping, who was kind of a prophecy nut, predicted that Jesus was going to come back on May 11th, 2011. Some of you might remember that. And the Bible says nobody knows the day or the hour. We're not to predict dates, but Harold Camping, he'd really studied prophecy and he finally, all the feasts, and he finally concluded Jesus coming back on May 11th. And it got a lot of circulation in the press, and people in churches were talking about, hey, Jesus is supposed to come back next Thursday. I have a golfing friend, Bob Dabney, and I use that term friend loosely. Uh, but Bob texted me two days before, and he said, now when I'm raptured on Thursday, I've got two dozen Pro V1 golf balls I'd like for you to have. They're in my garage. Yeah, his inference was I, he was going to go, and I wasn't. And so I texted him back and said, you know, I'm afraid I can't remember your code of your garage. I'm going to come over and pick up those golf balls tonight. But he didn't go for that either, because we both knew that Jesus wasn't going to come back that day because the Bible says nobody knows the day. So certainly it wasn't going to be that day. So as we look at prophecy, it's important to avoid the extremes, the extreme of obsession on one hand and the extreme of dismissal or scoffing on the other. Now, the New Testament predicts about 300 times that Jesus Christ is going to come back someday. Jesus said, I will, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, and I will come back. Noah, when he started building the ark, didn't know exactly when the flood was going to come. But he knew he was living in the season of God's judgment. Now, we don't know exactly when the Lord is going to come but like salmon instinctively swim upstream, Christian people should begin to lift up their heads knowing that their redemption is drawing near. The Bible says he's going to come like a thief, but that day should not surprise you like a thief. Without a sense, hey, we are living, I think, in the season of the Lord's judgment. Now, let's draw several definite conclusions about the last days from this passage because there are a lot of speculation. Here are some things we can know for sure. One is... History is moving toward a dramatic climax. It is not cyclical. Sometimes cynics begin to say, ah, life just goes around in circles. Uh, Peggy Lee saying years ago, is that all there is? We just, what goes around comes around nothing ever changes. King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, at least the first half of it, he expressed cynicism about life. Nothing new under the sun. Generations come and go. The earth remains forever. The sun rises. The sun sets, he writes, and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes. Ever returning on its course. There's nothing new ever under the sun. Whatever it has been will be again. Solomon Cynical. Hey, like we're going nowhere. People born, people live, people die. We go in cycles. Now, in Second Peter, the third chapter in the New Testament, Simon Peter predicts, in the last days there will be that kind of cynicism even in the church. Here's what he wrote. You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they'll say, where is this coming, he promised, ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. I hear people in church say, oh man, I've heard this stuff about the second coming since I was a little boy, and it never happens, we're just going around in circles, and Peter says they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water. The world had a beginning, and he said it's going to have an end. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed, Life doesn't go in cycles. There was a period in Noah's flood when the world was destroyed because of its wickedness and everything hadn't happened is the same. There was a cataclysmic event in the past. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. God, the world got so bad at one time. I read a story to my grandchildren about Noah's ark and said, the world became so dirty that God gave it a bath. God washed the world clean with the flood and started over again. And in the end times, he's not going to destroy the world with a flood. That's why we have the rainbow. He's going to destroy the world, purge it with fire and renew it. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth. Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I will come back. Now, 1 Thessalonians says... Uh, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So that day of Jesus' return is called in the Bible, that day, or it's called the blessed hope, or it's called the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's going to be the blessed hope for the Christian, but it's going to be a terrible day of judgment for those who don't know the Lord. Over the dome of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., there is an inscription. And the inscription reads, One God, one law, one element, and one far-off divine event toward which the whole creation moves. Our forefathers were believers, many of them, and they knew that life wasn't cyclical. There was a far-off divine event toward which the whole creation moves. All right, here's the second thing we can be sure of. One of the signs we're nearing the last days is the rapid increase in evil. A rapid increase in evil. He says there will be terrible times in the last days. That word for terrible uh, can also mean savage days. It's the same word used here in Mark 5 for the man from Gadara who was possessed of a demon and he ran naked through the tombs and he cut himself and he was such a wild man and such a threat that people tried to chain him and he broke the chains. Savage. And this hints at in the last days there may be uh, more uh, evil energized by demons. People get so bad. When I read an 18-year-old boy takes an assault rifle and goes into a school and just without conscience guns down 19 children. Say, I, I, demons, terrible times, savage times in the last days. Uh, Now, periodically, I run across some people who will say, I don't think the world is getting any worse. It's just there's more news, 24-hour news. There are more people, but people are no worse today than they were years ago. That's contrary to prophecy, and that's contrary to reality. In Matthew 24, 12, Jesus said, Now in the last days, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. And I don't think you can look at our world without believing that it's getting worse rapidly. I'll show you one example. Uh, about uh, 80 years ago when the movie Gone with the Wind was produced, the censors permitted one four-letter word, the word damn, in that movie. There was a preacher on the East Coast who protested and said, if that one word is permitted in a film, eventually there'll be no end. To the kind of profanity and immorality that will be portrayed on the screen. They laughed at him as a prude. He proved to be a prophet. A few years ago, the movie, uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, used the F word 506 times. In fact, Timothy, the third chapter, verse 13 says, "...evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived." The world is getting more and more wicked. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it'll be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. What were the days of Noah like? Well, Genesis 5 says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he'd even made man. The days of Noah were days of evil imaginations. Today, with computers, one click on the computer and pornography pollutes the minds of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of men. Genesis 6.13 says the days of Noah were days of increased violence. And today we've got inner city murders and mass shootings and domestic abuse and abortions. All this increase of violence. Jesus said as it was in the days of Lot. So it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What well, was the days of Lot? We're talking about sodomy. Homosexuality was so rampant in Sodom that angels were threatened. And today, gay marriage is universally accepted. In fact, if you dare speak out and oppose the LGBTQ plus agenda, you will be labeled as a bigot or you can be fined or maybe lose your job. Probably not in the future. Too far in the future. Maybe incarcerated. We've gone from pleading for tolerance to demanding approval. M. Lot said if God doesn't judge us soon, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now the passage before us today gives 18 different characteristics of the terrible times in the last days. I'm going to read over these descriptions. You think how they describe the world we live in today. People will be lovers of themselves, egotistical, me too, me first, self-centered. Lovers of money, greedy. Driven by the profit motive. Boastful, proud. What prevents most people from coming to Christ? Can't humble themselves and admit, I'm a sinner, I need a savior, I I need forgiveness. They will be abusive. We talk about spouse abuse, uh, employees abusing, employers abusing their employees, teachers abusing children, priests abusing boys. Uh, You know, when we got formerly reputable hospitals today performing uh, breast removal surgery on 12-year-old girls and chemically castrating uh, young boys, all in the name of gender reconstruction surgery or name of science. Tell you what, that's child abuse. Terrible times in the last days. And we get numb to it. Familiarity doesn't breed contempt. Familiarity breeds, breeds acceptance. In the last days, they will be disobedient to their parents. Well, kids have always instinctively rebelled against their parents. But now we've got the government and the schools telling teens, you don't have to tell your parents about what gender you're called at school or, or whether you're going to have this surgery. Ungrateful. Uh, I'm, I, I, I'm of the opinion... We live in the greatest country in the history of the world, but we're so ungrateful. We we see nothing but what's horrible about the country. People won't stand at attention during the national anthem even, unholy, without love. That word without love is the same word used in Romans 1, without natural affection, unforgiving, slanderous. (laughs) We're in a political campaign. You can't win a political campaign anymore if you don't slander and exaggerate the faults of your opponent without self-control. How many uh, rehab centers for addictions, alcoholism, drug, pornography, sexual addictions, no self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash. (laughs) That describes what's going on in the social media, conceited, puffed up with their own importance, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That's in the church. I preached two weeks ago, Jacksonville, Florida. The preacher said, i got to apologize. Our attendance is going to be way down second service. I said, why is that? Well, he said, the Jacksonville Jaguars are playing at 1 o'clock today. They're having a good season. A lot of our people have season tickets, so they won't be in church. Lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. So, there would be terrible times in the last days. Here's the third thing I want us to look at. We are... Believers are to live distinctively holy lives, separate from the world. Have nothing to do with such people. Withdraw from them. Doesn't mean you don't associate with them, but you're not involved in their activity. Second Peter 3 says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. And the worse the world gets, the more the Christian should be shining a, a, a light in a dark place. Now, I see this section as uh, suggesting three warnings to the men in this room. First is, don't get entangled in a business where you're manipulating people or are required to violate God's word. He says in verse 6, They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women. Uh, Can't read that without going down a side road for a second. I had wonderful experiences in this church but I had some bad experiences in this church. I could tell you about uh, a man 30 years ago who wormed his way into the life of a disabled single woman in this church. He played on her romantic fantasies and he borrowed over sixty thousand dollars from her which he never repaid and disappeared. Paul used the term worm. I'd use the term snake. And sometimes these people appear to be more spiritual among us. Paul says, there, in the last days there are going to be some snakes in the grass. there be some people worm in. But don't get entangled in a business where you're required to manipulate people. Worm your way in. My high, I had a high school friend who decided he was going to help pay his way through college by selling encyclopedias? But he was trained as an encyclopedia salesman to go into the home. Many of people had a number of children, many times not very wealthy, and tell them they had won a free encyclopedia and he would present all the advantages of the encyclopedia and how their children could be so well-educated, but they had this free encyclopedia, they had been selected, and he put all these dim, beautiful pictures of folders on the, on the floor. And then at the end he would say, now, if we're gonna give you this encyclopedia, we will expect you to keep it updated. Every year we print one book to update the, the encyclopedia, and you will be required, if you're gonna receive this gift, to, to buy the one book a year, and it is $49.99. And if they would resist and say, Well, I'm not sure we can afford that, he was to feign anger and begin to fold up his stuff. I can't believe we're giving you this encyclopedia. You're not even willing to keep it updated. And about his second or third presentation, he looked up at this family sitting there, and they were about to purchase this encyclopedia over a 10 year period. And he realized they really couldn't afford it. And he said, you know what? I'm lying to you. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. I'm, I'm manipulating you. I apologize. I'm going to leave. And they understood, and they asked him to stay for cookies and milk. But if, if you get involved in a business where you have to be dishonest, find some other job. I, I, I talked to a businessman two weeks ago who has risen to a vice president of a large corporation, and he said to me, I know I'm going to be release from my job pretty soon. Because my company is requiring that I endorse the LGBTQ uh, uh, agenda. Not just that I am tolerant, but I've got to print on Facebook and I've got to go to meetings where I endorse it and I'm not going to do it, so I've accepted I'm going to lose my position. I, I admire that. In the last days. Don't get entangled in a situation where you've got to violate your conscience and you're manipulating people going against God's Word. Here's the second warning. Don't frequent establishments where you are susceptible to all kinds of evil desires. He talks about, verse 6, "...and the women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, just as evil men can take advantage of gullible women... There are evil women who know how to ensnare uh, gullible men. Uh, we you're on a business trip, you're out of town, one of your friends suggests you go to a strip club for entertainment, you say, you know, I think I'll go to the hotel and watch ball game on TV. Somebody says to you, let's go to Hooters for some wings. How uh, about let's go to Cracker Barrel? Uh, when I was a young minister here, uh, I used to take my clothes to a cleaner uh, here on Hikes, over here on Hikes Lane, and the cleaner was right next to a little neighborhood nightclub called the Pussycatagogo. Uh, you been there? <laughs> used to be the Toy Tiger down at uh, at the corner of Bardstown Road and uh, 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 yeah, Barstow Road. And, uh, I don't remember where it was. I, it was just down there. Uh, <laughs> but I'd take my clothes to the cleaner right next door to the pussy Gogo. And I'd walk by, and on the, the wall were pictures of these scantily clad girls. And the door was open, and I would hear the music coming through. And I'd take my clothes to the cleaner. I've got to tell you, I was tempted to walk a little slower past and peek in and maybe just go in and get a Pepsi or a... Go and see if I could convert the girls, you know, you know, something. And so you know what I did? I changed cleaners. In the last days, I mean, so many enticements, and we're, we're going to have to be distinctive people. I, I know a father in this church who uh, belonged to a country club. Nothing wrong belonging to a country club, but he got entangled in a group in the country club who were partying big time and uh, a lot of flirtations and a lot of profanity and then his teenage kids were getting involved. And he decided he's gonna withdraw from the country club because he didn't like the direction this was taking his family. Now, again, you can belong to a country club, play golf and not get entangled, but use judgment. In the last days, Satan, guys, Satan's like a roaring lion. He stalks about seeking whom he can devour. And the Bible commands us, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't even think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh because the more you think about it, the more vulnerable you are. All right, here's the third warning. Don't hang around unbelievers who love to flaunt their intellect. And don't feed your own ego, by frequently hanging out with skeptics and agnostics and doubters. He talks about here learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, our world doesn't come to a knowledge of the truth because they insist there is no truth. There is no absolute truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. Let's just tolerate each other. But down deep, they know that's not the case. Uh, when... If, they, they know there's absolute. When you go to your banker, you, your banker says you're overdrawn. Well, you got your truth. I got my truth. You get stopped by a policeman says you're speeding. Well, you got your truth. I got my truth. You know, even football coaches don't believe there's no absolute truth. The referee makes the call and says, let's see it on the video, see what the truth is. Uh, that tennis player who wanted to come to America, he couldn't come through customs and say, well, I, I, I identify as vaccinated. You know? You're either vaccinated or you're not vaccinated. There's absolute truth. Now, as believers in Christ, we're distinctive from the world. We believe we've come to an absolute truth. The absolute truth is we're not here by evolutionary accident. We are here by divine creation. In the beginning, God made heaven and earth. And the absolute truth is that we're all sinners. We've disobeyed God's will, and we're separated from God. The absolute truth is that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin in Bethlehem of Judea. He grew up in Nazareth, lived a perfect life. He performed undeniable miracles. He taught unforgettable lessons. He died an atoning death on the cross where God laid on him all of our iniquity and Jesus has risen from the dead. He has ascended into heaven and one day he's going to come back for us and we have the hope of living eternally with Jesus in heaven. That's absolute truth. Now they're going to become you encounter people who will try to counter that and create doubt in you as, uh, as too fanciful to believe. And he says here, just as Janus and Jambrus opposed Moses, so also these teachers opposed the truth. Uh, remember when Moses tried to persuade Pharaoh that. Uh, he was from God by performing miracles, and he threw his rod on the ground, and it became a snake. He poured water on the ground, and it became blood. He touched the ground for August. Well, there, the tradition doesn't say their names in the Old Testament, but tradition through the years said these. there were two magicians who duplicated by sorcery some of Moses' miracles. And tradition says their names were Janus and Jambres. These these were false teachers who were trying to persuade Pharaoh not to listen to Moses as telling the truth. And they were able to to duplicate some of the miracles, not all. And there are going to be men like that. He says they are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith are concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Now, let me just say a word to a few of you. You got your self-worth from academics when you were in school. You like to think of yourself as a good thinker. And some people get their self-worth in school from athletics or appearance. Some of you got your, your self-worth from your, your keen mind. And you go to an honor society and you graduated top of your class and you got degrees. And there's a real temptation to, to flaunt that and be, you're vulnerable to deeper thinking in the wrong direction sometime. And uh, we're surrounded with all kinds of untruths that uh, men can have babies and the Bible's full of myths and child molesters are just minor attracted persons and the unvaccinated are super spreaders and all kinds of untruths being propagated out there. And you're tempted to Get involved in some of those discussions to show your intellectual superiority and you almost get in a metaphysics chat room or intellectual circles and you can debate for hours and you better be really strong or you can begin to be it be, become to doubt the absolute truth and go around in circles. One pseudo-intellectual boasted, well, I'm not sure what the truth is, but I'm searching for the truth. What could be finer than searching for the truth? And the answer came, how about finding it? You know? And we're distinctive, not because we're so smart, but because we have a submissive spirit toward God and His Word, and we believe the Bible is true and we humbly accept it, that Jesus said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said, "This Pilate, this reason I was born and that came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me." So, don't get caught up in intellectual discussions again and again if it's undermining your faith and doubting. Stay as far from them. When I was a little boy, our preacher told an illustration I've, I've always remembered about. Uh, years ago the the king's courtier was looking for a new chariot driver and he took some three potential candidates up a treacherous road where there was a a cliff and he asked them, now how skilled a driver are you? How close can you bring the wheels of your chariot to the edge of this cliff without plummeting over? And the guy who got the job said, I'll tell you what, if I had the king in my chariot, I'd stay as far on the other side of the road as I could. And if we want the king of kings to be living in our lives, don't see how close you can come to evil and doubt. Stay as close as you can to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, once you were darkness, now you're the light of the world. Live as children of light and have nothing to do with the fruitful deeds of dark or the fruitless deeds of darkness, but expose them. Okay, here's the last truth. We'll close out. Jesus is going to triumph, even though it doesn't seem like it at the moment. Their folly will be clear to everyone. Not clear right now. There's a, not clear what truth is right now. But it will be clear one day. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus is coming in triumph. Now, I'm going to give a controversial position uh, because people disagree about this. And then we'll close out. There are all kinds of views of the second coming. I am of the personal opinion that Jesus' coming is going to be in two stages. Like we talk about Thanksgiving and Christmas or the holidays. Well, when Jesus Christ returns, I'm of the opinion he's going to come in two stages. The first stage, he's going to appear in the air. That's when First Thessalonians talks about the Lord will descend from heaven a shout and we'll be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. It's called the rapture of the church. Jesus said one will be taken, the other left. And so the, the Christians will be raptured. Then will follow a period of tribulation where there is a, rapidly a one-world ruler who comes out of the revived Roman Empire. It might come from the World Health Organization. He might come from the European Union. Uh, Martin Luther felt like he was going to be a rogue pope. Said the, the people have been taken uh, maybe they'll explain it by saying there have been alien abduction and we've got to unite the world against another alien attack and there's going to be a, a one world government and chaos the Bible calls it the great tribulation but then Jesus Christ is going to return in judgment and wrath Revelation 19 says I saw heaven standing open and those before me uh, and there before me was a white horse whose writer is called Faithful and True, with justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him. Who are the armies of heaven? The angels and the Christians who have been raptured are coming back. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which he strikes down the nations. And he'll rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The Bible says Jesus Christ is going to come back in wrath. He's going to judge the world. And it says that he will, uh, Martin Luther's song, Mighty Fortress, says, uh, the prince of darkness, grim, we tremble not for him, for one little world, one little word will fell him. The Bible says he'll blow Satan away with the breath of his mouth, and he will rule as king of kings and lord of lords. So we know that one day Jesus Christ is going to triumph. I read not too long ago about an unusual basketball game. In 2011, the University of North Carolina played the University of Miami in the quarterfinals of the ACC men's basketball tournament. Miami hit the first shot of the game. They led the entire game. In fact, they got 19 points ahead in the last half. But North Carolina began mounting an incredible comeback. The only way this story could be better if they were playing Duke, the the Devils team. Uh, They're playing Miami. North Carolina went on a 27-6 run over the last 10 minutes of the game. With less than a half second on the clock, Tyler Zeller hit a layup and the clock ran out. North Carolina had the only lead and the win. The first time they led the entire game, but they led when it counted at the end. There are 40 minutes in a college basketball game. That breaks down to 2,400 seconds. Miami led 2,399.5 seconds, 99.99% of the game, but they led when the final buzzer sounded. That's all that mattered. Now the Bible teaches that's gonna to happen to the devil and his followers at the end of the age at present it appears like Satan is winning evil struts in the street but we ask where is God, where is his promise all things work together for good to those who love him but don't lose heart the game isn't over Jesus Christ is going to triumph in the end and he will put all his enemies under his feet so history is moving toward a dramatic climax, not cynical cyclical one of the signs we're nearing the end is this rapid increase of evil. Don't get entangled in a business where you're manipulating people. Don't frequent establishments where you're susceptible to all kinds of evil desires. Don't hang around people who love to flaunt their intellect and create doubt. Jesus is going to come in triumph, even though it doesn't seem like at the moment. Those things we know for sure. So 1 Corinthians six, 15, 58 says, Therefore, stand firm. Let nothing move you, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you for the hope of the gospel, Father. Help us not to fall victim to the lies of this world. Help us to be willing to stand firm. Let nothing move us. Thank you for the hope in Jesus Christ. We know he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we're not. So help us to be submissive to him every day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.